0: Hello.
1: Hi, you doing?
0: And welcome to Help Me Believe, the show about Christian apologetics and theology. Today on the show, I will be responding to a video by one godless engineer, hi you doing, who is a YouTube atheist and apparently a Jesus mythicist. He made a video response to a video that I made about Jesus mythicism, and I'm going to show why his debunk attempt fails. My name is Hayden Clark, and this is Help Me Believe. The other morning, I woke from my slumber as my wife was still asleep at about 5 a.m., took the dogs out, made some coffee, went into my office here in the studio uh, for a little devotional time and some reading. And after that, uh, just before heading out for work, I decided to check my social media, which is always a bad idea, and I found that I had some new followers on Twitter. Woohoo! How special! Uh, One of them was a Twitter handle titled Godless Engineer, and I should have stopped there, but I was intrigued. And so I went to this Twitter handle to find this fantastic bio. It says, I'm a godless, independently thinking southerner living in North Alabama trying to survive this Christian wasteland one day at a time. I'm sure this is more satirical than anything, and I definitely should have stopped there. Um, however, this person, whatever their real name is, has tens of thousands of followers on Twitter and YouTube combined, and apparently they uh, he made a response video about me, because I saw my face plastered all over their feed. So, naturally, I had to watch the video. Well, the fast version, um, because I had to get to work, but now I've, I'd like to examine it in detail, and respond. And before doing so, the context of my original video, um, the context is that I made a video titled "Jesus Mythicism and Angry Atheist." So it was actually a, a longer video than just the Jesus Mythicism part. And I also went into uh, a link of this angry atheist uh, yelling at uh, some Christians. And there I responded to what I find to be some common mythicist arguments online. Uh, I didn't quote any published mythicists like Richard Carrier or Robert Price or whoever. Uh, that wasn't my aim in that short little video. I, addressed some popular, uh, I address a popular audience here. And, uh, and I respond to what I perceive to be uh, popular objections on the lay level uh, most of the time. I mean, sometimes I, I go more in depth and things like that. But if you want to fault me for that, fine. But that, that's the context. So let, let's uh, – I want to keep that in mind as we watch uh, this video. So let's uh, get into the video here.
1: He wants to make it seem like you know, it's only popular on the internet and really it's not. It's gaining a lot of traction in scholarship. So far we've got Richard Carrier that did his two books on this particular topic. And then we also have Raphael Lataster who has done his own uh work on it as well. So it's gaining traction in scholarship. And uh, specifically Raphael Lataster's book was actually aimed at universities, uh, meant to be a textbook. So Uh, To say that it's only popular online is uh, pretty disingenuous. Now, I will say that in the past, mythicism has not had a foothold in scholarship whatsoever, and there have been a lot of bad mythicist ideas out there. I agree with this. You can't judge mythicism solely on the fringe elements of (laughs) mythicism.
0: so this wasn't really meant to be a substantive point. I wouldn't just say that, well, this isn't a scholarly consensus, therefore it's false. But it is a fact that mythicism is not debated in scholarship. Almost no one takes it seriously. Aside from the two he mentioned, and i in a third for good measure, Robert Price, uh, who is more of a scholar that writes on a popular level, I'm assuming that's why he didn't mention them here. But even if we throw in price, okay, that's three. I guess you're getting somewhere. Congratulations. But to pretend that one published work or two published works is somehow gaining traction in academia or scholarship is what is really disingenuous here and and by the way watch this original video or just the response video here and take a shot every time he says disingenuous I must be the most disingenuous person alive secondly to say that you can't judge mythicism based on the fringe elements of mythicism is to ignore the obvious fact that mythicism itself is a fringe idea by definition it is outside of mainstream scholarship and is therefore fringe Uh, You can't address it at all without addressing the fringe because it is fringe. Look, if if, if you think mythicism has weight and can stand on its own two feet against all the scholarship, more power to you. Consensus can be wrong, that's fine. But don't pretend that a couple of published works equals gaining traction or that mythicism itself isn't fringe. It, of course... Is So next, in my original video, I explain why the fact that there is no archaeological evidence for Jesus is expected, and it's not that big of a deal. And here is his response. No, I would say that's not. For one thing,
1: Jesus wasn't a ruler like, you know, Pius or uh, Hadrian or Trajan. Like, we don't expect to find coins or necessarily archaeological evidence. What we would expect is at least some kind of eyewitness testimony for Jesus. You trying to paint mythsis as requiring hard evidence such as archaeological evidence is a bit disingenuous. In order to establish somebody in history, we don't necessarily need hard evidence in order to establish them. To establish somebody as existing in history, we don't need hard evidence to do that. We could have eyewitness testimony, or uh, any other kind of testimony that would uh, be able to attest for the person that we're trying to investigate. That's all. A point against you, I guess, so far, because this just screams dishonesty.
0: So again, I was responding to popular responses that you might see online. Not, I wasn't responding specifically to Mr. Uh, Engineer, and I'm going to refer to him as such, not in some kind of derogative way. I just don't know his name. So I wasn't responding to Mr. Engineer or any other person specifically. So if you if you want to fault me for that, okay, but I'm in no way being dishonest when I, when I say that you hear these sort of things. Uh, these sort of responses from internet atheists, you, of course, do. And I'm glad to hear that Mr. Engineer is not one of these people and would adopt a more reasonable burden of proof like eyewitness testimony, uh, which scholars like Dr. Peter Williams and Dr. Richard Bauckham have argued for. And I'll leave links to their books in the description below if you'd like to read about it. If you would not like to hear the other side of the argument, okay, but I'll leave a link there uh, for those who do. So there's no disagreement here, well, at least I thought until he directly contradicts himself in his very next thought.
1: So to claim that a specific person existed in history and did something noteworthy enough, you would need actual evidence for it. To act like we only have like archeological evidence for important people in the past, I think is rather disingenuous.
0: To act like we only have archeological evidence for important people in the past is disingenuous directly contradicts what he just said. He just said he didn't expect there to be archaeological evidence for Jesus because Jesus wasn't, specifically his words, a ruler, which would be a very important person. Now he's saying that this is a dinu- disingenuous assumption. You just saw it in real time, and it happens one thought after the other other literally his next thought he contradicts himself
1: cuz i mean we obviously have archaeological evidence for you know just everyday people existing back then
0: but we obviously have archaeological evidence for everyday people just people in general no kidding the point here is that you don't have archaeological evidence for specific people, specific everyday people. Of course, people existed and they left behind their remains, but you don't have much archaeological evidence that some specific person in history existed outside of rulers or important people like he himself initially agreed with.
1: If they did something noteworthy enough, we would definitely expect somebody to write it down or to write about it or for that particular event to have some effect on history.
0: Uh... I don't know what the implication here is. I agree with that standard. Decades after Jesus' death, you have—or just just a couple decades after Jesus' death, you have writings about him that begin to flourish— and only a madman would say that these writings had no effect on history. I mean, what do you want? I mean, by your own standard, Jesus exists. I don't know why. Um, of course, this isn't going to be the complete standard. But if it was, then Jesus would exist. And
1: we just don't find that for Jesus. Because keep in mind, Jesus wasn't Joe Blow Snow back in you know Judea in the 30s. They want to make him out to be some like relatively unknown person. But that's not, for one, how the Gospels describe him. And two, that's not how Paul talks about Christianity, the Christian faith, and the Christian population. So, it's rather disingenuous for you to sit there and act like, oh, Jesus was just some random guy.
0: This is of course false. Jesus was an itinerant preacher from Judea who attracted a following in a small area of the world. His personal ministry didn't have a worldwide effect. Not immediately. His later followers carried that out. And Paul? Seriously? Paul doesn't describe Christians in the first century as an outcasted group of society? I mean, this is ridiculous.
1: And for Jesus to have done what he supposedly had done, you would expect a lot more evidence than there actually is.
0: So what did Jesus supposedly do? He supposedly lived, had a teaching and healing ministry, was crucified, and rose from the dead and appeared to some of his followers. Uh, What would you expect if this were true? I would expect people to report it. However, most people at this time are illiterate, so there isn't really even a good chance of that. However, despite those odds, we do find people reporting it. He is stuck on the quantity of evidence, or the quantity of reports. But why would he expect just so much? What, what is he expecting? That in a time and place where most people were illiterate, that we're going to find a plethora of reports that survived 2,000 years for us to read? We don't have that kind of evidence for almost anything that happened back then. The burden of proof is too high, and obviously arbitrarily so. Why on earth would you expect a plethora of evidence for an itinerant preacher healer from first century Judea you wouldn't of course it's amazing that we have as much evidence that we do so i
1: mean i would agree i don't expect archaeological evidence for jesus although archaeological evidence would really solidly put like the nail in the coffin for mythicism uh, if we had any archaeological evidence whatsoever like th- there's this claim that the tomb of jesus has been found there's been multiple tombs of Jesus to be found. There's been multiple holy sites where apparently Jesus, uh, you know, stood or had his feet washed and, I don't know, did some sexual thing with some girl's hair and his feet. I don't know what kind of fetishes they had back then.
0: So obviously he's jesting here, or at least I hope. But seriously, this is the kind of trash that gets thousands of likes and follows on the Internet. This is this is where we are as a society. This is This is what you get. Look, if if you hear the story of Mary Martha and the washing of Jesus' feet and your mind goes towards something sexual, you got issues I, and I'd hate to know what goes on in your mind.
1: The point is is that archaeological evidence would definitely disprove mythicism but we don't find that not that that's an argument necessarily against his existence in general, but just that you don't have that evidence and so that makes it less certain that he existed in history
0: So the lack of archaeological evidence, isn't an argument against jesus's existence in general but it does lower the probability if it lowers the probability of his existence then yes it is an argument against his existence but you just said it wasn't an argument against his existence so if it isn't an argument it can't move the probability in either direction it's just not an argument at all it doesn't do anything you might say it isn't a definitive argument against him but if you think it shifts the scales of probability Then you are counting it as evidence. You are counting it as an argument. You're counting it as a piece of the puzzle. And if you count it as a piece of the puzzle that moves the scale of probability, then you are counting it, as I just said, as evidence or as an argument, which is to directly contradict your initial statement that it's not an argument against Jesus's existence in general. Not to mention you're accepting an argument from silence as valid when it's not. So then in my original uh, video, I explained why the fact that Jesus doesn't have any writings himself, uh, you know, like he didn't write anything himself, also isn't an argument against his existence. Um, Mr. Engineer agrees and tells us what mythicists actually want.
1: And they wrote about him. So really all mythicists want or expect rather is that the people that could read and write
0: would read and write about things that were happening if that's all you want what you really really want then you got it how about sources dating to just decades after his crucifixion if this were really his standard he would believe that jesus existed we have more writings and earlier writings about jesus and what was happening then than we do for almost any figure from antiquity the standard will shift as he will undoubtedly want to throw doubt on the sources but if What he wants is people who could read and write to detail Jesus and what was happening. He obviously has it in the form of the Gospels.
1: And if Jesus created this monumental movement that he made, he made such a stink in that area of the world, you would expect people to write about him. I mean, just take Josephus, Um, Flavius Josephus. He wrote about several failed messiahs. Uh, Why wouldn't
0: he write about Jesus? Well, he did write about Jesus. The consensus on Jesus in, Joseph, uh, in Josephus is that he, at bare minimum, uh, has some of the text about, um, excuse me, that some of the text that Josephus writes about Jesus is original to Josephus. Um, this guy apparently had a, a debate with inspiring philosophy, which I found out afterwards, uh, in which Michael painfully explained the authenticity of the passage to Mr. Engineer, and I'll leave a link in the description to that debate as well. But just to point out, this is the unavoidable consequence of taking such a fringe view, such as Jesus' mythicism. You not only have to go against the scholarship and the mountain of evidence in, in, in one place, but also in others. Not to mention, even if Josephus did not write about Jesus, which he clearly did, that wouldn't mean Jesus didn't exist either because that would be an argument from silence, as Michael also explained to Mr. Engineer in their debate. Um, This isn't an argument against Jesus for the same reason that the lack of archaeological evidence isn't an argument against Jesus. They're both arguments from silence, but again, I don't grant that Josephus didn't write about Jesus. Another common one you'll hear is that there are no Greek or Romans in the first century who write about Jesus. If Jesus was this famous preacher or whatever, why don't we see any uh, uh, first century Romans or Greeks writing about him? Obvious question. This is a very good question. Why didn't other people write about Jesus? No, it isn't a good question for the same reason the archaeological evidence, the archaeological question wasn't a good question, and the Josephus question wasn't a good question. It's an argument from silence. Other people's silence about Jesus isn't evidence that he didn't exist, or and it's not evidence against those who did write about Jesus. People did write about Jesus. Some people didn't. So what? The fact that other people didn't doesn't mean anything because silence is not an argument. Secondly, and this is important, and it's going uh, you'll see why later, the question that I asked wasn't, why didn't other people write about Jesus? The question was specifically, why didn't Greeks and Romans write about Jesus? So he, wait for it, is being disingenuous in his representation of my representation. And this, as I said, this small detail will matter uh, in a big way, as we'll see shortly. The only near
1: contemporary that we have is Paul.
0: The only near contemporary we have is Paul. Nearly all of scholars date the Gospels before the close of the first century, which later on it's going to sound like he's going to do so as well. Again, you'd have to accept a position that goes against nearly all of scholarship to, and the evidence uh, to accept this position, which he has made abundantly clear he's he's willing to do. And and, and what do you mean by near-contemporary. Again, according to the scholarly consensus, Paul only predates the gospel of Mark by about a decade or two. How does Paul count as near-contemporary evidence but Mark and the others don't? The consensus of scholarship, again, is that Paul, the four gospels, and Josephus, because I'm, I'm going to count that as an attestation to Jesus, were all written before the close of the first century. He would have to show why they're all wrong about all of these sources. I want to be as generous and genuine as possible. But the claim that Paul is the only near contemporary is just as far outside the uh, mainstream scholarship as his view on Josephus and mythicism more broadly. Again, this is the route you have to go down in order to take this position. One fringe idea leads to another and another and another.
1: It doesn't even have to be like contemporary. Just somebody citing a motherfucker that saw Jesus
0: on earth would be awesome. Someone citing a mother-effer that saw Jesus on earth would be awesome. One, you wonder why no one takes you seriously when you can't form a sentence without having to use the phrase "m effer If that's the language you want to use... Uh, In a supposedly intelligent critique of the historical Jesus, go for it, but don't whine when no one takes you seriously or just dismisses Jesus mythicism out of hand. You're playing right into the trope that people make of internet atheists and Jesus mythicists, which if you're cool with, that's fine, but don't wonder why no one takes you seriously. Secondly, someone citing someone that saw Jesus... The Gospels name at the very least 12 people that saw Jesus. Of course, there's many more cited in the Gospels as well. If a simple citation of someone who saw Jesus was sufficient, he would believe that Jesus existed. So this is clearly not his standard. His comments here are notwithstanding.
1: We don't find anybody referencing any earthly eyewitness to Jesus. So, excuse me for having some doubts about whether or not he actually walked the earth when we don't even have anybody that saw the motherfucker.
0: Again, the the childish language is, is why no one takes it seriously. And again, to claim that there are no citations of people seeing Jesus is to ignore the four Gospels, which I guess is the response he is trying to draw out. Like he wants someone to reference the Gospels so he can make some critique of the Gospels. And I get that he, he doesn't believe that the Gospels have any historical value. I'm assuming that. Uh, which is another fringe idea, but to pretend that they don't exist at all, like here in this statement, just pretending they don't exist is, well, it is disingenuous. Uh, maybe he'll address it later, so we'll keep watching.
1: I, I I like the double standard here because what he's saying is is that oh Jesus was so un uninspiring. Jesus was so unoriginal, and and he was so easily written off that not even the people that recorded other messiahs at the time wanted to write about him. But yet, at the same time, he was inspirational enough to create this entire movement around the idea that he is the Son of God. It's, it's rather peculiar. People that wrote about other messiahs, I would expect them to write about a, yet just another messiah that failed to be the Jewish Messiah, which there's different ideas about the the Messiah in Judaism. Uh, One version is that he's supposed to be a conqueror. uh, And then uh, another uh, couple of versions is is a lot similar to Jesus, uh, where he's supposed to die for the sins of the people and then resurrect. So, I mean, there's a vast landscape of different ideas about messiahs. So basically what he's saying here is that he's, he's asking us to believe that the people that were already writing about these failed messiahs wouldn't write about another failed
0: messiah. How does that make sense? Uh, That's not what I said at all. As I mentioned at the outset of this section, what I am talking about at this point in the original video is the lack of recording about Jesus in Greek and Roman authors in the first century. People like Josephus do mention Jesus, and Josephus mentions other prophets. I probably didn't mean to say the word Messiah here in this context. Uh, I think that was a slip, and what I meant was something like Jewish prophets uh, or apocalyptic prophets or something like that. Like the ones that Josephus mentions who were also prophesying the destruction of the temple. I don't expect Greek or Roman first century authors to record this sort of stuff, and why would I? I can see why Josephus would mention it, and in fact he does, which I, I guess Mr. Engineer um, does not because he, um, in the minority, thinks that the whole thing is an interpolation, which is convenient. But uh, more importantly, how many Greeks or Romans in the first century mentioned Pontius Pilate? Well, Luke does if you want to count him again, but I'm betting you don't want to count him. Other than that, zero. How many uh, mention uh, Flavius Josephus? Zero. Oh. Oh. Before we continue, remember what I literally just said in this clip. I said how many Greeks or Romans, again, I repeat, Greek or Romans mention Pontius Pilate or Flavius Josephus.
1: If you really want to know
0: who writes about Pontius Pilate. No, that's not what we want to know at all. What I asked was what Greeks or Romans mentioned Pontius Pilate, not just people in general. That, again, completely... Disingenuous.
1: Philo of Alexandria wrote extensively on Pilate.
0: Philo of Alexandria was a
1: Jew. Not only that, but we do have archaeological evidence for Pilate in uh, the pilot Stone.
0: Why are we bringing up archaeological evidence for Pilate? I I don't actually think that Pilate didn't exist. And I don't need you to explain the archaeological evidence. I'm aware of it. And I think it's conclusive. Pilate obviously existed. What I asked for was Greek or Roman attestation to Pilate's existence.
1: Which has Pilate's name and position carved in on it. And it was actually commissioned by Pilate himself. Josephus also mentions Pilate. Josephus was obviously a Jew. I
0: said Greek or Roman.
1: So for you to claim that we just have zero references to Pilate in history...
0: When did I ever claim that? Let me play back what I asked for. But uh, more importantly, how many Greeks or Romans in the first century mentioned Pontius Pilate? I didn't say no one mentioned Pontius Pilate. I said no Greeks or Romans do. And the examples of historical attestation to Pontius Pilate that he gave were two Jews and archaeology. To repeat, I obviously believe that Pontius Pilate existed. I was merely pointing out that we don't have any attestation to his existence from contemporary Greek or Roman authors. And I was using that as an an analogy to point out why the fact that no contemporary Greek or Roman authors mention Jesus should count against Jesus any more than it should count against um, Pontius Pilate. It shouldn't count against either of them. What he has done is make it sound like I doubt Pilate's existence, or that I think no one to quote him in history ever mentions Pilate outside the Bible. That's outside the New Testament, to be more specific. That's false. I never said that. I never said that. And and just proved it to you by simply playing back the audio. All you have to do is listen to what I originally said. Yet I'm the one that's so disingenuous
1: other than like luke or or anybody else uh, that, that's in the bible is rather disingenuous <laughs> we have so
0: much more evidence for pilate than jesus if you've been taking a shot every time you hear the word disingenuous i imagine you're no longer watching because you are passed out drunk I never said we have more or less evidence for Pilate than Jesus, but I think it's a bold claim to say we have so much more evidence for Pilate than Jesus. Uh, He mentioned two Jewish authors and archaeological evidence. Uh, I think that's great evidence, but I think there's much more historiographical evidence for Jesus, so I suppose it comes down to how much weight you give to one or the other, which is fine with me. Either way, I don't care if we have more evidence for Pilate or not. I think we have more than sufficient evidence for both, as does almost everyone.
1: Also, we have direct writings from Josephus, so we don't necessarily need other authors to affirm his existence when we have writings by him,
0: signed by him. I agree, this is quite exhausting. I'm not calling into question whether Josephus existed. I'm answering the argument that some mythicists make all the time when they point out that no contemporary Greek or Roman Greek or Romans attest to Jesus' existence. None do that for Josephus either. It's a simple point to show why the silence of some contemporaries doesn't matter. Of course, I believe that Josephus existed. These last two are my favorite. I just love them. The Gospels don't count as sources for Jesus because they're biased. Uh, so This is so rich. I want to like put it on a plaque up on my wall behind me.
1: Well, why don't you do it? And it's not because the Gospels are biased, exactly. It's just because they were written so much later that they can't give us any
0: kind of good information as to what Jesus actually did. There it is. That, that's the real standard. How late does he think they were written? The consensus view is that Mark was written just, two or three decades after uh, Jesus' crucifixion. If, if that isn't a good source of information when it comes to ancient history, then almost nothing is. Uh, at that point, you would only be able to accept or rely on archaeological evidence and, like, immediate attestation, like, as it was happening, which, which, if you ask me, is and nearly every scholar on this matter, I, I suppose, is too high of a standard. I don't know how late he wants to date the Gospels or why, but maybe he'll tell us. Not to mention the
1: fact that these things were written right about the time when any eyewitnesses would be
0: dying. So it sounds like to me he would date them in the first century. If so, he means to say that four attestations to the existence of Jesus, which he actually will dispute later on now that I'm making this video in retrospect, um, in the first century, that they don't count as reliable sources to his existence. Now, I can understand that you, you again, that you might want to uh, question certain aspects of his life, but if you are seeding that the Gospels were written in the lifetime of eyewitnesses, which he clearly just did, um, I have no clue how you just dismiss them out of hand. That's bizarre to me, but the very fact, um, the very thing you dismiss them for That they were written as eyewitnesses were dying is the very reason why you should accept them as reliable attestations at the very least to his existence. It it doesn't get much better than the fact that some eyewitnesses were still alive. Consider that for most events and people in ancient history, we have very few attestations that come uh, to us from sources that were written within the lifetime of eyewitnesses. They're usually centuries later. In the case of the Gospels, which he seems to agree we have four, or maybe he would exclude John or whatever, we have four attestations written within the lifetime of eyewitnesses to Jesus. And
1: then lastly, it doesn't actually cite, like none of the Gospels actually
0: cite earthly references to Jesus. So they don't cite earthly references to Jesus. What do they cite? I I, I honestly couldn't even guess what that, that sentence is supposed to mean. The Gospels record, cite, claim, whatever you want to call it, the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. How is that not an earthly reference? The qualification of earthly is certainly confusing. What what does he think that they reference? I don't want to mock here, but does he think they reference heavenly or outer space? I I mean, I, I just really have no idea what you could possibly mean by that qualification. But if he means the Gospels don't attest to a person named Jesus that walked the earth... He would have had to have never read the Gospels. I don't know how else to respond to that.
1: Those are the reasons why we don't consider the Gospels to be legitimate in establishing Jesus' historicity or anything that Jesus could have done.
0: Then your reasons are flatly absurd and also, wait for it, disingenuous.
1: So don't act like it's just this one particular point that, oh, they're a biased source. Okay, Uh, yeah, true, they probably are. But even in a biased source, we can get some uh, basic information like whether or not somebody existed. Hey,
0: I'm glad he thinks that this is so. Clearly, he isn't the type of person that I was addressing. Um, Which is great. Uh, Again, my original video wasn't a response to him or some specific mythicist or version of mythicism. It was a response to some bad arguments that you might find online or in conversation. He acts like I'm misrepresenting his position. Before his response video, I literally had never heard of him. And I don't mean that offensively. I pointed out to say that I can't be misrepresenting you or your view when I'm clearly not responding to you at all.
1: That would go a long way to proving that Jesus definitely existed in history. The point is, is that it's not the bias that precludes them from being evidence for Jesus. It's the time in which they were written the sources that they cite and don't cite, and then there's the fact that you really only have one Gospel that's independent, and that would be Mark, even though he technically uses Paul.
0: Uh, no. Uh, Matthew and Luke include 90% of Mark's material. Matthew and Luke both have independent material that accounts for around 30% of their respective Gospels, so at the very least you have three independent sources. There are there are attestations that only Luke includes and there are attestations that only Matthew includes or sources there are sources that only Luke includes and there are sources that only Matthew includes and they both use Mark that's 3 sir and and of course some hypothesize that there was an additional Q source but for the sake of argument we'll go with 3 which is still more than 1 and and Mark uses Paul I'd say that that was the most outlandish claim of this video, but he's made some pretty outlandish claims here. The difference in contrast between Mark's gospel and Paul's letters uh, could not be more stark. If he's claiming that there is a clear literary dependence between Mark and Paul, I can't wait to see it. First, this is just as stupid as saying uh, medical textbooks don't count because they're written by doctors. If that sounds stupid, that's what this objection sounds like to me.
1: Well, luckily, I don't really give a shit what you think. So I don't care if you feel like, you know, the whole medical textbook and Bible analogy is legitimate. Uh, The fact of the matter is, is that it's not the bias that precludes it.
0: Again, if, if he thinks the bias doesn't preclude it, then good on him. I, I never said that he specifically thinks this, again, because I didn't even know who he was before this response video. Uh, this was a video about things that you will hear online and in conversation. I'm glad he thinks that they are poor ways of arguing, and he himself would not make these arguments. Uh, of course, he he just made very clear that he doesn't give a crap, I'll keep it PG, that I would applaud him for such, So, but anyway, I do applaud him.
1: It's the fact that they were written so late to the, the, to the point where there would be no eyewitnesses, and they don't cite eyewitnesses.
0: So earlier he said that they were written when eyewitnesses were dying, and now he says that there were no eyewitnesses. It's an, another direct contradiction. And, and they don't cite eyewitnesses the way uh, he and I would or someone today would. But if you are interested in a highly respected argument from a New Testament scholar – uh, that they do, in fact, cite eyewitnesses, uh, you should read Dr. Uh, Richard Bockham's book, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, again, which I'll link in the description. Not to mention John's gospel does explicitly cite an eyewitness in no uncertain terms, which I'm sure he would have a reason for dismissing, but I digress. Well, doctors are experts in their field. Of course, they count. Exactly. Those who were closest to Jesus would be the best sources to look at if we wanted to know about him, especially if we would even just wanted to know that he existed.
1: I agree. Having some kind of written source from people that personally knew Jesus... Would be awesome. In fact, I would give up my mythicism right now if you could solidly establish that any disciple actually wrote anything in history. No, you can't because those don't fucking exist. Okay, well, I'll just, you know, put, put the mythicism right in my
0: back pocket. Sure we can. Again... For a great read on why the Gospels are written from eyewitness testimony, I recommend Richard Bachem's book. Secondly, as I've argued in a previous video, which I'll link to this as well below, I'm having to link to a lot of things here. Uh, the modern objections, the modern objections to traditional authorship, are based on arguments from silence as well, and all the actual evidence, the actual evidence that we have, points to the traditional authors, which would include at least two eyewitnesses. So I, I know he would dispute that. Um, but weigh the evidence for yourself and I think you'll find that his own standard is met and therefore you should conclude at the very least that Jesus existed. Secondly, this claim of bias insinuates that they had some motive to lie. That's what you're really getting at, that they were lying about this. They just made the story up. People don't just make stuff up or lie for no reason. So I will wait the rest of my life to hear a good response to why would they lie. It's not going to happen.
1: Did you really just claim that Just nobody lied in history. Well, I guess technically you said nobody would lie for no reason. Like they would have a reason behind it. But I just, I I find that incredibly odd that you would say, oh, these guys wouldn't lie. I mean, yeah, it's definitely possible that they could have lied. But I also think that it's not just as simple as, like, them wanting to lie. I mean, you can believe something is a fact. You can believe something actually happened. You can be convinced by something to have actually happened, but yet it not actually happened. So it's not a lie inherently. It's just bad information. But you painting it as the bias inherently meaning that they were trying to lie for their faith or they were trying to lie to somehow deceive people into believing in Jesus is just disingenuous. They can be biased just simply because they believed Jesus actually existed or actually did these things. That's how they can be biased and not lie. But you're painting a false dichotomy here in order to make your argument that they just simply wouldn't lie. That's just so stupid.
0: Now, while I don't deny being stupid, in fact, I'm quite stupid. I never insinuated that people can't be biased in other ways. If I somehow gave that impression, I'll retract the statement and say it differently. What I was saying, and I was saying that for someone to say that the gospel authors were biased and just making this up, they would obviously have some motive for lying. They would know that they were lying and would require a motive. I said I haven't heard a good motive put forward and he didn't give one. So if there was uh, confusion here I'll take the blame that's fine but that's that's what I was saying Most importantly, the atheist making this objection, or not necessarily an atheist, but the mythicist making this objection is also biased. You know why? Because all people are biased. And if we should dismiss people who are biased, then we shouldn't listen to anyone, including ourselves. And so this objection is actually self-defeating. Unless you are so arrogant as to claim to be the bastion of objectivity and claim that you have no biases. If that's you, you're excused from the dialogue.
1: Oh, well, I guess God is excused from the dialogue then, isn't he? You got so many Christians out there that are wanting to talk for God, and they claim to be the bastions of uh, objectivity. It's just so fucking hilarious, this coming from a Christian. I mean, you guys claim to follow the one bastion of objectivity. But in any case, again, the bias is not the problem. You're right. We all have biases, but the point is, is that you're supposed to try to remove any bias that you could possibly have, not show favoritism for one kind of evidence over the other. If you have evidence that breaks your hypothesis, it would be uh, a show of your bias to disregard it just because it's not what you want the evidence to be.
0: Okay, so to point out the obvious, this whole thing about bias started with me characterizing an objector who dismisses the Gospels because they are biased. He said that doesn't apply to him because that isn't something that he would say or do. Good for him, then I guess I wasn't referring to him or his type because, again, I wasn't specifically re- responding to him because, again, I didn't even know who he was before this response video. Secondly. Christians and other theists believe God to be the bastion of objectivity on the basis of philosophical argumentations that end in God being all-knowing and all-good. Now, if he wants to dispute those, that's fine, but that, that's where that would come from. These characteristics clearly wouldn't apply to any human being, Um, And I was obviously simply saying that all humans have bias because all humans are fallible. That doesn't mean that their beliefs are ipso facto false, which was the characterization that I was arguing against. He doesn't clearly doesn't fit into that characterization, and I said good for him. Um, Again, he, he seems to agree, so I don't see what the point is here. But of course, biased people can make true claims. I'm biased. I want Christianity to be true. I'm fine saying that. You know why? Because it doesn't mean anything. It it wouldn't mean anything if I was the most biased person in the world. I was raised a Christian, and I believe it because my parents told me it was true, and now I'm simply going out to find evidence to confirm what I already believe. That wouldn't matter at all. You would still have to weigh the evidence on the basis of reality, of is it good reasoning? Is it good evidence? Does it actually corroborate the claim? It, it just, The biased thing just means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. And when you hear it, you can simply dismiss it. It doesn't matter.
1: What the fuck are you talking about? Did Did you literally just say that you could be the most biased person on Earth, but yet you can still be objective when looking at the evidence?
0: Nope. I I never said that. I never said that. And you can replay the clip a thousand times and you'll never hear me say that. I said that the fact that someone is biased does not mean that their beliefs are false. You still have to weigh the belief against the truth maker of reality. Is the belief based on good evidence and good reason? That's literally what I just said and it's, and, and it's obviously false. So, so someone completely biased can have a true belief. And someone who appears to be the bastion of objectivity can still have a false belief. This is all I'm saying. But in
1: all seriousness here, you're the most biased Christian ever. Do you not think that bias would
0: affect how you viewed the evidence? Yes. And I never said otherwise. I said the fact that someone is biased does not make their belief false. With respect to whether or not a belief is true or false, reality is all that matters. Bias or lack of bias is not a truth maker. Reality is. With respect to what is true or false, the only question that matters is, does the belief correspond to reality? With with respect to that, bias does not factor in.
1: Like, you have people out there with clear Christian biases that are looking at the evidence for, say, evolution. And they come away saying, nope, that doesn't prove evolution, when in fact it actually does. So,
0: with respect to evolution, I have no bone to pick and don't care one way or the other whether or not evolution is true or false. I'm fine with agreeing with the consensus of scientists on evolution because it isn't really something that interests me and not something I've ever really studied uh, because it doesn't interest me and I don't care. Um, if it's useful for scientific investigation, then, you know, have at it. It, it doesn't bother me or my, my belief in God or Jesus one way or the other. But again, the fact that young earth creationists are biased does not make their beliefs false. That's the only point I'm saying. And I, st- of course, stand by it. It should be obvious. What would make their belief false False is when he says the evidence does, in fact, prove their belief false. If the evidence, that's the reality part, does, in fact, would be good reason, prove their belief false, then it's false. Not, but it's not the bias that makes it false. He clearly understands how this works. It's the evidence and the reason that matters when it comes to whether or not a belief is true or false.
1: Your entire rant here about biases and how it just doesn't matter if you're biased or not, it, it does matter. Because when you go to look at the evidence, you have to make sure that your bias isn't getting
0: in the way. I agree with that and never said otherwise, to repeat myself for the thousandth time. I said that bias doesn't make a belief true or false. Reality does. You've taken a single sentence out of context and made it sound like I believe bias doesn't matter at all it's a, 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 in, in any way. Of course you should attempt to be as objective as possible, but you will never be 100% successful at that. And the fact that you have bias does not make your beliefs truer or false. That's all I said, and I, of course, stand by that. So, actually, your entire rant here is against a straw man, something I never said, or would say, or ever will say, and is completely, wait for it, disingenuous
1: i have to check myself constantly on that in this particular subject the mythicism subject all the time i have to i have to check my bias because if there's if there's some evidence that could that throws a wrench in in my gears as far as mythicism goes i have to look at it and try to be as objective as possible
0: good for him. I I applaud him for that. Again, he already stated that he doesn't give a crap what I think, but I applaud him nonetheless. Here's the thing. Even if he was the most biased atheist on the planet, he hated Christianity and he had a vendetta against Christians, which is not something I'm assuming about him, but even I'm saying even if that were the case, I would not dismiss his arguments out of hand on the basis of, you're biased. And that was the characterization I was arguing against in the first place. If that characterization doesn't apply to him, I'm glad to hear it. I was simply arguing that you can't dismiss a belief just because the person holding it is biased. Because we're all biased, and it doesn't matter with respect to what is true or false. And I stand by that. The problem here, though,
1: is that the authorities in this matter have a Christian bias. If you want to look at David Fitzgerald's Jesus Mything in Action, it, it, the first book in that series has a study where they show that all of the teaching institutions that employ the historians that most people like claim that they want to hear from, which it's kind of funny that they use the consensus of the wider uh, scholarly community for certain things, but for other things, they only want this hyper specific, like, like consensus among new testament teaching scholars is what they want but what you find is is that all of those people have to work at these christian institutions that require you to be a christian this bias is very important because this bias causes you to look at evidence for like the resurrection and claim that a jew died on a stick in the first century and then was resurrected magically supernaturally
0: by god to absolve the sins of everybody the problems created by bias that he mentions here have nothing to do with what I was talking about. I was talking about dismissing someone's argument on the basis that they're biased. That that's fallacious. That's not good thinking. He seems to be upset that there is bias against some people um, being not let into the club of academics or scholarship. That may be a reasonable concern, but it is irrelevant to what I was speaking about. So he can be upset about this till he turns blue in the face, but it has nothing. It has no bearing. On what I was talking about. Another one that I hear often is that the Gospels are not independent of each other. They're Matthew and Luke are dependent on Mark, and and probably John is too. This amounts to nothing more than somebody who heard that uh, Matthew and Luke borrow a lot. To about ninety percent of Mark's Gospels included in theirs. And then they just ran with that. They didn't. They don't. They didn't read the scholarly uh, opinion on this or anything like that. They 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 have no idea what they're talking about. They just heard that and they're like, "Ooh, I can use this against the Christians. This will be a good one." They can't come back from this one. Well, it's really not hard. About twenty percent of Matthew's gospel is unique. About thirty-five percent of Luke's gospel is unique. Matthew and Luke share a common separate source apart from Mark. And there's <laughs> there's. Little to no evidence that John's gospel is dependent on the other three at all. Okay,
1: so John's gospel is definitely using Mark's gospel in order to create his narrative, uh, but we're gonna get to that here in a second. It's actually mainstream scholarship, and I'm not gonna say consensus because I think that it's kind of hard to determine what the actual consensus is uh, in these areas. The mainstream scholarship, the overwhelming mainstream mainstream scholarship, shows that Mark is the independent gospel that informed Matthew, Luke. And John, and I I actually probably have a, a link down below to this one, uh, this one guy, Jimmy Aiken, which if you guys don't know, he regularly goes on the Catholic Answers live show. He analyzed it himself being a Catholic and came away saying, yeah. John used Mark in order to craft his narrative uh, in, in whatever way that was. So you not only have like Christians that are admitting that John used Mark, but you have mainstream scholarship that indicates that John used Mark and that Mark is
0: the only independent gospel while the other ones have used Mark. No one said they didn't use Mark. In fact, I said Matthew and Luke used 90% of Mark. I said that myself. So I don't know who you're arguing against. What I said was that about 30% of Mark and Luke are unique to themselves respectively, which means we obviously have a separate source. They, they weren't using Mark in this 30% part, which means you have another source. So you have at least three sources. Um, different. You have at least three different first century sources, even if you dismiss the Q source, which I assume is what he's about to do, um, he didn't respond to what I said. He repeated part of what I said and then ignored the part about Luke and Matthew having independent sources from, um, from Mark, which is both mainstream and consensus. I don't care which words you use. Um, they didn't craft their narratives wholly independent of Mark. I, ne- I never said that, but they include about 30% of their material Um, about 30% of their material is not found in Mark or each other. That's what I mean by having independent sources. The Q source is
1: indistinguishable from Mark.
0: I think he meant uh, Matthew here, so I'm not going to fault him for that. But for those who don't know, the Q source is a hypothetical document that Matthew and Luke shared that accounts for the material that's common between them and also not found in Mark. So you have Mark, Matthew, and Luke who borrow from Mark, but Matthew and Luke, again, as I already said, have about 30% unique to each other, so that makes three. And some people uh, hypothesize a Q source, a fourth source between the synoptics, which accounts for material that Matthew and Luke hold in common, but is also not found in Mark. So that would be four sources if you counted Q. Uh, He seems to believe that the Q source is really just Matthew, and that Luke borrowed from Matthew and Mark. At least that's what I'm hearing him say. Um, I think he slipped at the beginning there. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he really thinks it was Mark. That would be an interesting thing to say, and I'd have to hear him further on that. But I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. And again, it doesn't really matter to me with respect to this conversation um, whether or not Q source is real or just hypothetical and imaginary, as I mentioned in the last clip.
1: Okay. Uh, they say that the Q source existed prior to Mark, and then Mark used Q, and then Matthew and Luke also used Q. Mark Goodacre actually has a really good uh, argument against the Q source. So that, does, that, that physically doesn't exist, but I don't even think that it hypothetically exists. So you really just have Mark.
0: No, you you have Mark, the sources that Matthew and Luke use to account for their narratives that are independent of Mark, they're not found in Mark, and you also have at least least part of John that is independent to himself, Uh, even if he did use Mark, which would require a pretty detailed argument to show literary dependence between Mark and John. And so for you math whizzes out there, that's five separate independent and early sources for the existence of Jesus.
1: No. You see what he's done here? He's taken one source in history, Mark, and he's turned it into five different sources. This is not how historiography works.
0: No, I haven't, and yes, it does. There are portions of Matthew, Luke, and John that are independent of Mark. They're not found in Mark. This is both obvious and mainstream, or consensus, whichever term you'd like to use. They borrowed from Mark, yes, but not in all places. As I said in the original video, around 30% of Matthew and Luke, respectively, are independent of Mark. If you
1: have one guy that writes an account of one thing, and then... You have all of his buddies copy off of him, and they they have the same shit that the
0: one guy does. You see what he's done here? He's made it sound like Matthew and Luke's gospel are just verbatim copies of Mark. They aren't. To repeat myself, the copy uh, they copy about ninety percent of Mark's gospel, and have material that is copied between the two of them independent of Mark. Whether that's just of Matthew or it is the Q source. Um, and, and those two things combined account for about 70 to 80% of their, the total, um, of their gospels. And then they have about 30%, which is unique to just Matthew and just unique and unique to just Luke. So he's painting it as if Matthew and Luke just copied down Mark's gospels verbatim, like they're literally just a copy. And this portrait could not be more disingenuous. And by the way, thats I should really say it's at least five independent sources because... The gospel writers would have in all likelihood have used multiple sources as they uh, created their Gospels the, the, when we say there's five sources we mean at, at least five sources or traditions there would have been multiple independent people along the way so there's no telling how many actual independent sources we have here but we have at least five and if that's not good enough for you then I, I don't know what to tell you I guess your excuse from the dialogue because you're you're not willing to do honest historical investigation because five independent early sources is good enough to establish a consensus, which is what we have in scholarship. There is a scholarship in in a scholarly consensus. This did Jesus exist is not a question that actual scholars ask. What they're asking nowadays is what can we know about Jesus? The question of Jesus' existence was solved uh, in modern scholarship 30 years ago. So what you have is the lay audience is about 30 years behind the scholarship, which is typical with lay audience versus scholarship. But, I mean, just get with the times he existed. There's absolutely no question.
1: You know, I don't think that he, he realized that he did this, but he's talking about how the gospels use these other sources in order to inform their gospel about what Jesus said and did, right? Uh, but yet, he, he even said that it's ridiculous to think that Luke didn't write Luke. And, and these gospels are supposed to be eyewitness accounts. If Luke was an eyewitness, why did he have to use other sources to inform himself about it?
0: If Luke was an eyewitness, who thinks that? Clearly not, certainly not me. What we do believe is that Luke's gospel is the recording of eyewitness testimony, which Luke himself claims, and as I said, Dr. Bauckham um, argues for meticulously in his book. Uh, where he got the idea that I think Luke himself was an eyewitness is beyond me. Uh, if the traditional authorship is correct, which I do believe, Luke and Mark would not be eyewitness. Uh, eyewitnesses themselves. Uh, Mark would have uh, used Peter, which I think is a defensible position, and again, Dr. Barcom argues for it extensively, if you'd like to read about it, and Luke would have used Mark, again, who was using Peter, and other eyewitnesses that were alive at the time, as he himself claims to have done. But I've never said, nor would I say, that Luke himself was an eyewitness. Like, if Luke was
1: writing from his own perspective about the events of Jesus' life, why was he having to use these other sources?
0: Again, no one thinks that Luke's Gospel is a reflection of his own personal experience. Literally, no one, or I, I don't know of anyone, and I've certainly never said that, and I don't, so I don't know where he got that from.
1: You would think that he would even cite these sources if he
0: used them. If you'd like an argument for that, you can read Bacham's book. And also, Luke claims to have interviewed uh, eyewitnesses in the opening of his gospel. And no, I wouldn't expect him to cite his sources in the way that uh, Mr. Engineer or I might cite some sources um, for the obvious
1: right if he went back and he like investigated this stuff you would think that he would cite them in his gospel or in acts but he doesn't
0: oh okay so now we've shifted from critiquing luke as an eyewitness himself to critiquing a sp- specific citation of eyewitnesses again i think he includes the eyewitness inclusio that Bacham argues for but read it from the scholar himself and decide for yourself uh, and Luke drops plenty of names throughout the gospel that would have served as eyewitnesses and carriers of the early Jesus tradition for the oral community in which they lived in. But again, read Bauckham and other scholars on this for yourself and make your own opinion. And the five independent sources that we find in the gospels should be good enough to convince uh, any reasonable person. But even if it's not, um, I'm going to get to a few more. But first, uh, some, some outside the gospel. But first, gospels. But first, I want to point out that all of the objections, sparing the last two, are nothing but arguments from silence They're arguments based on what we don't see what you don't find what somebody did not say that is a fallacious argument that is a logical fallacy known as an argument from silence it's not a good way to argue in fact again it's a fallacious way to argue it's a logical fallacy it does not count for anything arguments from silence mean nothing.
1: So the argument from silence is kind of nuanced here. Uh, Just because somebody doesn't mention something in the past doesn't mean that that something didn't happen, right? Just because one author doesn't write about every single thing that happened doesn't mean that these other things didn't happen. But I say that it's nuanced because if there's sufficient reason for an author to write about something and he doesn't, that speaks volumes. At that point, it's no longer fallacious, the argument from silence. For instance, if I said that uh, Godzilla sank the Titanic, nobody mentions that in history. Nobody says it. But by using this guy's standards here, he would say, oh, well, that's just fallacious reasoning. You could just dismiss the idea that an iceberg sank it when obviously Godzilla sank that motherfucking ship, right?
0: What? He, he literally gets this exactly backwards. I, I mean, I couldn't make it up if I wanted to. If there is no historical attestation that Godzilla sank the Titanic, and you claim that he did sink the Titanic, you would be the one making an argument from silence because there is no historical attestation that it happened and you're arguing for it on the basis that there is no, no historical attestation to it. That's an argument from silence. That's the part that is an argument from silence. If I say, why do you believe Godzilla sank the Titanic when there's no historical attestation that that's what happened, I'm not making an argument from silence. I'm pointing out the fact that you are and that you have no evidence for your claim. Again, I don't know how you could get this exactly backwards, but he, managed his, he manages to do so.
1: Just because people didn't talk about it at the time doesn't mean that it didn't happen. See, when all the other indications and, and all of the other accounts seem to be silent on the fact that Godzilla sank the Titanic speaks volumes to the idea that Godzilla sank the Titanic.
0: Of course it does, because it isn't an argument from silence. It's simply pointing out that you have no evidence for the claim that Godzilla sunk the (laughs) evidence. Sunk the evidence. Sunk the Titanic. You have no evidence of that. You're the one making the argument from silence. You're postulating a hypothesis that has no historical evidence or attestation. With respect to Jesus' existence... We do have attestations that he existed, namely the Gospels, which you would dismiss, but they are attestations. If you then say, well, why doesn't so-and-so mention him? That's an argument from silence because the fact that so-and-so doesn't mention him doesn't change the fact that someone else did. I don't know what's confusing about that, but I hope that makes sense. Sincerely, I do.
1: It's the same case with Jesus here. The fact of the matter is, is that if Jesus was influential enough to inspire an entire movement of people, let alone do the things that are said to have been done in the Gospels, you would expect people to write about it.
0: There- if Jesus did the things recorded in the Gospels, you would expect people to write about it. How about the gospel authors themselves, which you're reading from? Here's your sign. You're reading it. The gospels are writings. What he really means is you would expect other people to write about it. And even that standard would be met with Josephus and others. Of course, he thinks those are interpolations. But the point here is that people did write about it. Even if you only included the gospels, even if you only included Mark, it would still be someone writing about it and the standard would be met. The fact that someone else didn't write about it is irrelevant, and and, and that's that's what makes it an argument from silence. The, the fact that the person you would want to have written about Jesus didn't write about Jesus is not an argument against Jesus' existence. People did write about Jesus, again, even if you only count the Gospels and even if you only counted Mark. I mean, this is just absolutely baffling that you would say something like this
1: were people that were recording other messiahs at the time why should they write about one messiah but not
0: another messiah we could postulate a million different possible answers to that question the problem is twofold one you're attempting to psychoanalyze a dead person's silence on a subject and two you can't psychoanalyze anyone's silence for the sheer fact that it's silence and doesn't indicate anything with any amount of certainty because it's an argument from silence
1: And it's not just that, oh, this was, you know, they were writing about a messiah in a different area. These were messiahs, Jewish messiahs that were in the same area. And they were perceived to have failed as well. So why wouldn't, like, Josephus actually write about Jesus as a failed messiah?
0: Most scholars do believe that Josephus wrote about Jesus. I know he thinks it's an interpolation, but read about it yourself, or heck, go watch his debate with Michael Jones of Inspiring Philosophy to see why he's wrong. Again, the link's in the description. Here's another example.
1: Nobody anywhere records a supernatural eclipse or an earthquake that happened in 30 or 33, whichever particular gospel you want to read. Using this guy's logic right here, you would have to just dismiss the idea that they didn't happen because nobody anywhere writes about it. There's no physical evidence of it happening. And the way that the moon operates, you know, in orbit around the earth, wouldn't allow for uh, an eclipse at that particular time. Just because all of that silence is an argument from silence, you should just throw away the idea that, that they didn't happen.
0: He still doesn't understand what an argument from silence is, and he again gets it exactly backwards. First, many interpreters don't think that the gospels mention, the gospels mentioning of the sun being blocked out um, is, is, a, is like a literal eclipse. They think it's an apocalyptic language, which was known to uh, have existed at the time, but that's completely irrelevant, the interpretation of that text. What, what matters here with respect to this conversation is this. It would be an argument from silence if you said, well, so-and-so doesn't mention the eclipse. Why didn't they mention it? must not have happened, that would be an argument from silence. However, if you appeal to science or something else like that, that's positive evidence, and it's no longer silence. This isn't difficult. I I don't know what's so confusing about this argument from silence business.
1: If there's a major claim for something in history, but there's no evidence that it happened, that has to say something about whether or not that thing happened.
0: Correct, but that, that's not an argument from silence, and the analogy fails. I'm arguing that there is multiple early attestation that Jesus existed. I disagree that there's no evidence. He's confusing a case where there's no evidence with a case where there is attestation in some places, but not in others.
1: He's about to go into these extra-biblical sources. Uh, we've been through them before. If you're really interested in seeing me like respond to them, let me know in the comments, and I'll consider making a follow-up video.
0: Alternatively, if you want to see him attempt to argue against this extra biblical evidence, just follow the link in the description and watch him do so in his debate with Michael Jones of Inspiring Philosophy, and decide for yourself. Well, this has gone on far too long, and you're probably wondering why I would take the time to respond to this, and that's a good question. Perhaps I find it worthwhile to respond to such material because it's influential. Um, there's a reason that people call YouTubers influencers or whatever. This, this guy has tens of thousands of followers. And I want to make sure that people hear the other side. If you don't want to hear it, fine. If you want to dismiss it, fine. But I'm going to make the video about it anyway. If you enjoyed hearing from the most biased Christian on the internet, be sure to hit the like button, subscribe, leave us a review, and God forbid that you support such a disingenuous person as myself but if you'd like to you can follow the patreon link in the description below and become a supporter of help me believe my name is hayden clark and this is help me believe